Hello and welcome to The Agenda on Monday the 14th of November 2022. I'm your host Christopher Gallagher. Uh, it's, not, it's funny that it's not the 9th of November because we're, uh, we're nine points clear of... Uh, <laughs> Of the rest of, oh, like that, uh, of the rest of the um, Premier ship, I believe second place is closer to third, maybe than the artist to first, which is an absolute delight, uh, and we'll talk about it in detail. Uh, that little snigger you heard was uh, from my good friend Kieran Devlin. Hello, Kieran, how are you? Might as well be four points clear. Am I right? Am I right? I'm um, not much uh, far too neurotic uh, to the title of the race is far from over. Uh, but I'm, uh, thanks for having me. I'm very good. I'm very good. Obviously, football results, as we as we always say, really sort of uh, steers the the feeling of the weekend. But I had a, yeah, I'm feeling good. Had a nice weekend. We could come on to. But yeah, let's get let's get into this. You look sharp, Kieran. I have to say, you look sharp. You've got a cup of coffee. I'm I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm I'm it's ha- I'm happy you're here, sir. Uh, we're also joined by uh, making his debut on the agenda. It's our uh, lunch club uh, compadre. It's uh, Colin Kearney. Hello, Colin. How are you? I'm very well. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is uh, yeah Monday. I didn't know Mondays existed, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> here we are. Uh, yes, in the the pantheon of Celtic podcasts, Mondays are very important. Uh, so it's an absolute pleasure to have you involved, Colin. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Great stuff. Um. Your weekend, let's just get straight into it. This is obviously the last, the weekend there was the kind of final kind of game before we stop for the, the World Cup break. Uh, and obviously we'll, we'll kind of talk about the World Cup and stuff over the next week or so. Um, kicks off next Sunday. Um, how have you been, Kieran? Uh, what have you been up to? Nice weekend. Talk me through it. Yeah, so um, for Caroline's birthday a couple of months ago, I got her a Nice uh, couple of nights in a B&B, not an Airbnb, an old-fashioned traditional B&B, like it's the 1930s or something, um, <laughs> up in the Cairngorms. So we went up there, did some hiking, had some nice food, read in the, you know, had some beers and read in one of the nice cute wee pubs that are up there. So, yeah, it's um, very, very nice. And then, yeah, so I had a, a lovely, wholesome weekend after quite a few of heavy drinking it was quite nice to have a more chilled break to be honest uh what were you reading was it like um some like william shakespeare or something fancy like that you 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 seem like a fancy reader guy what was it yeah yeah i was reading the complete works of <laughs> shakespeare what's my favorite what's my favorite uh shakespeare work oh i just have to say the uh the best of william shakespeare <laughs> yeah. uh, um no, it was like a, it was a fancy book actually. Um, this guy called um, Joe Abercrombie. If anyone's into their um, fantasy books, really recommend them. Very dark, sense of humour, really good characters. So um, yeah, recommend that if anyone's anyone's keen. Well, a nice, a nice, quite a chill, escapist thing to go with the weekend. I thought. Uh, Colin, you're a you're a reader. You're one of those reader guys who <laughs> reads books and all that. Is that something that you like to do as well? Let me just put down my original folio copy of the Two Gentlemen of Verona and uh, <laughs> get back to the podcast. Um, yeah, well, I mean, uh, I have been I read physical books, but I also use audiobooks quite a lot, especially when I have kind of like bouts of insomnia and uh, my current Audible credits are on um a fantasy book by uh patrick rothbus um the wise uh, the name of the wind and the wise man's fe- uh wise man's fear 
uh, kind of like ridiculous hero fantasy, you know, like this guy is just it's the chronicle of this impossibly talented dude. <laughs> and it's kind of ridiculous, but it's also kind of brilliant. Great stuff. But, yeah, I can hear Alan Edgar's like, oh, for fuck's sake, they're talking about books. Jesus Christ, <laughs> on this train journey in Germany. Um, what have you been up to this weekend, uh, Colin? Obviously, we watched the game and stuff. Anything else interesting? Um, went out yesterday for uh, like an afternoon beer, which Oof. ended up with us. Um, Tara was away uh, on a work thing in London. So we were just kind of hanging out and catching up and it turned into a bit of bit of a surprise drunken evening. Love it. I couldn't even finish my dinner. I just uh, I was having dinner at home and then I was just I need to go to bed. <laughs> uh, so uh but yeah so we went to Coal Shipyard where we recorded Lunch Club one time. Yeah. And then we went to a new place called Lunar, which is a kind of cocktail uh, uh sort of forward bar in the old Nevins. Uh, and they were very nice, and we had a lovely time. Great stuff. Lovely. Great to uh, hear how your weekends went. Uh, I should mention that our very good friend Stuart Dugan, uh, a.k.a. The Quilter, has a gig uh, that's coming up in uh, Glasgow. He's playing the SWG3 Poetry Club Saturday the 26th of November. And also in Edinburgh, he's playing at Sneaky Pete's on Friday the 2nd of December. All tickets available at thequilter.bandcamp.com. The Quilter is one of the best live shows you're going to see about, so check it out. Um, any other details, uh, he's on the Twitter box at The Quilter. Um, so any questions or anything, let us know. And uh, yeah, should be a fantastic night. Okay, we have an opening question. Uh, we've got a number of questions that we've received from listeners and subscribers, so thank you very much. So the opening question is from Brian, and he asks, and this is interesting, and don't worry, I've got I've got some names for you. Um who has been the best value for money transfer in the Ange era of transfer? I've, I've, I've put in an extra transfer there, haven't I? Yeah, I have. Who has been the best value for money in the Ange era of transfers? And who has also surprised you with their quality slash importance? So let me run through the players that we brought in under Ange Postacoglu. Um, uh, of course, Liam Shaw uh, <laughs> is the first... Uh, Liam Shaw, Joey Dawson. The name that pops into everybody's heads instantly. It, it's the first one that you think of. Uh, Liam Shaw, Joey Dawson, uh, Ozazi Origide. That's the, the three. Let's just get them out of the way. That's a blast from the past, isn't it? Yes. You know, he's, he's very recently left, but he feels like he, feels like he should be like um, one of the Lennon signings from 2010 to 2014. That's why, or like one of Strachan's later signings. I mean... Yeah, I mean, remember Ben Hutchinson played up front in the Champions League for us. Uh, you don't. Uh, let me see. Lila. Okay, here, here's the here's the big hitters. Here's the boys, right? Uh, Leah Labada, uh, Kyogo Furuhashi, Carol Starfelt, Joe Hart, James McCarthy, uh, Josip Juranovic, Liam Scales, Georges Giacomakis, Jota, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Rio Hatati, uh, Yusuke Idaguchi, Dyson Maeda, uh, Matt O'Reilly. That was from the first season, and then obviously the second season we've got Benji Sigrist, Alexandro Bernabai, uh, Moritz Jens, Aaron Moy, uh, Siad Haksabanovic, Abelgard. A lot of names there, and I've thrown them all out, but we know who's signed. Uh, Kieran, we'll start with yourself. I-, I want two answers from you. First one is going to be the best value for money, and the second one is the one that surprised you with their quality importance. So we'll come to you, Kieran, with the first one. Who's been the best value for money signing in the Angera for you? Uh, Honourable mentions to Matt O'Reilly and potentially Haxabanovich, but I think it has to be Hatate, doesn't 
plays for a million and a half. We got him, and he is one of our best and most important players. But he's also what I Jota aside, I think the most entertaining player, maybe even on a par with Jota for me personally, as somebody is the Celtic player I love watching the most. Um, and in terms of importance, well, we'll come on to what he did at the weekend. Oof. But when he's not when he's not there, I don't think we create pretty much anything from central areas. We do just rely on crosses. He is the only player in the middle of the pitch who I think can really, really create magic. Um, with his one-touch passing, with his creativity, with his ambition. I think he's just brilliant to watch. He creates big moments. He delivers in big big occasions. And for a million and a half, it's just ridiculous value for money. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Colin, I'm going to give the second part of the question to you. Who has surprised you with their quality slash importance? I think... Uh, sorry, this is going to sound really... Uh, repetitive and boring, but I think Hatai has been the most surprising because, if I remember rightly, I was more I was being led to believe that uh, Dyson Maeda was the more the most exciting of that of that little um, signing of uh, players, and Hatati uh, was a bit of an unknown quantity and seemed a bit more of a pun. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and everything Kieran's just said is is just you know he's you know yeah wrapped up Player of the Year. Um, in November and uh, he's just a joy to watch and uh, just you know just on Saturday there where he just dinks a ball over the Ross County player's head and then just holds him off with his body so he's got the skill he's got the physicality Uh, yeah a delight Uh, yeah so good question good answers Um, for me uh, I can't I can obviously agree with Hitati, I think Hitati, because Colin, you make a good point. I remember we were talking about it and Hitati was, remember he was described as like, not versatile. What's, what did, what was Charlie Mulgrew described as again? Utility man. Utility. That's right. He's like. Swiss army player. A Swiss army player. He was, <laughs> he was very much, uh, you know, he can do a number of different jobs. He was playing at left back for his club before he signed for us and all this. And he was seen as the sort of, eh, this guy will be okay. He'll do a job. And it turns out, in my opinion, and I think maybe you two guys as well, he's like such an integral part of our team that, you know, there was two players, I, there was one player I always thought, you take McGregor out of this team and we're going to kind of fold like a flan, but I think it's McGregor and Hatati. I think without those two, I think we're in big trouble. Um, me personally, with who has surprised you, and again, this is a guy we'll talk about, Haksabanovic, man. I, I adore Haksabanovic. He has grown on me very, very quickly. Um, Kieran, your thoughts on Haksabanovic? We'll come to your, yourself in a second as well, Colin. But Kieran, your thoughts on Haksabanovic? I love him. I, I really, really love him. I think I think he's replaced um, because Juranovic is having a bit of a mediocre season. He's not lived up to his first season hype. I think Haksabanovic has replaced him as my favourite Celtic player. Because, yeah. as I say, your favourite Celtic player is not, it's not usually one of the three or four best it's one of the guys that's maybe not as well-rounded, but there's some qualities, there's something about him that he just love. And I think Aksabanov should have placed him, um, Juranovic, in that mode. Because he's a wee bit snidey as well. He's got like real technical quality. He's got some flaws that need ironed out that maybe mean he won't be... He's, you know, he's not at Jota's level, for example. He's never going to be sold for what we're going to sell Jota. But there's just something about him that I, I, I love. And he clearly loves it here as well, I think, which is a big thing, you know. He fits under... Um, I think he's... He's really building a rapport with the fans as one of the international players who, you know, quote unquote, just gets it. 
yeah, as well. You know, he's got that sort of lustic factor, or that that jota factor of just appreciating what they have here. And you know, that's not to say oh they love it so much they're going to stick around for their career or anything, but they clearly value what Celtic is and the support and the stadium and everything about it. Um, and I think if you can marry that sort of affection with being a great player, with producing in big moments, with your all-round game being good, which I think, you know, Hagsabanich is the past couple of weeks, he's really delivered in big moments, but his all-round game is really play, is coming into its own as well. He's really delivering in a defensive sense, you know, his, whenever he's on the ball, his one-touch stuff is improving, he's been more ambitious. Um, so he's, you know, taking some of the burden of responsibility away from Hitati's shoulders a bit. And O'Reilly as well, you know, he is trying to be a bit more creative. He's trying to be a bit bolder with his decision-making on the ball. I love him. I think he's brilliant. I think he's a really good player to have in terms of who we can retain that front three. You know, we mentioned before, maybe in midfield and maybe in defence, our strength and depth isn't what we hoped it would be at the end of the summer. I do feel quite settled with the front three, at least until the summer. I think maybe in the summer you can look to upgrade in one or two positions, but in January, I do. I'd be quite happy with the options we have there, and a big part of that is having Hagsabanovic's versatility. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love him. Uh, Colin, he's a bit of a wild card, doesn't he? He's just a bit. He's a bit cool looking, and he's turning it on on a weekly basis now. Yeah, I think he's really developed. I think when he his first couple of appearances, I was calling him Hagsabanovic because he was bringing a little bit of sort of spiky kind of nature. But I think he's really adjusted. Uh, his attitude to the rest of the team in a way we're quite I mean I know this is a, a bone of contention for some people but we're quite an honest team we're not really kind of uh, getting too involved in the dark arts um, and I think that his he seems to be much calmer and he's trying to have, I, th- I think the thing I really like about him is that he he hates a cross. He hates a cross. Doesn't want to lump in a cross. He just kind of, he'll be working for it, like just trying to get the ball into the box. If he doesn't succeed, he'll just recycle it with himself and try again. Um, and the fact that he's now starting to get goals and he's got a daft little goal celebration. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's got cult icon written all over him. Yeah, that daft little goal celebration. You need that. That's that's part of the lustification of um, foreign players who come to Celtic and get it. Uh, thank you, Kieran. I'm, I'm going to be using that. Um, great stuff. Um, I mean, it's interesting because we're going to talk about transfers just overall in, in a few minutes. But, you know, in, t- in regards to kind of uh, the hit rate of the players that Ange has brought in, it's really, really high. And it's something I hope we can continue with. Uh, okay, what have we got coming up for you this week? Uh, the Cynic Agenda for the week. Monday, you we have the agenda, which you're currently listening to, which drops at 1pm every single Monday. Um, so listen out for that. Tuesday, we've got the review. Um, so this will be the final review uh, looking at the Celtic games. It will be um, Graham and Christian looking at the game against Ross County, doing an analysis of it, a deep dive on it. So have a look at that. Uh, Wednesday, we've got the Celtic Women's Football Show, of course. Thursday, we've got the Cynic Clinic Live. So that'll be myself, Alan Edgar and Christopher Somani. 
from seven o'clock um, in the evening, we will be live and we'll be taking your calls using the uh, the number that we've got, the WhatsApp number. You can phone in. Basically, it's a phone in, a live phone in. So from 7 p.m., um, get yourself ready, get yourself a, a wee drink and uh, phone in and let us hear your thoughts. Uh, we'll promote that a little bit more through the week. Friday, we've got the weekend update returning. Uh, the lunch club's taking a few weeks off, so a uh, weekend update will be back on Friday. Saturday, we've got the social, uh, myself and Christian sitting down, and it's going to be a little bit um, more kind of unrestricted um i'm going to be asking christian some hard questions uh, and i'm sure he's looking forward to it so it should be good fun uh, and sunday we've got a new feature podcast called faithful through and through um and we'll be speaking to a celtic supporters club from around the world this week it will be the detroit celtic supporters club so uh, chat to them about um setting up and, and everything that goes with that so that's your cynic agenda for the week even though the world cup is on and there's no celtic the cynic will definitely be here tell your friends get involved um so we had another question i put out for questions on the agenda uh, as I always do uh, we had a question from paddy and paddy uh whatsapp doesn't asked do the winners of the spfl go straight into the champions league this season so i did a bit of digging this morning don't you worry about that uh so I looked at it. So as things stand, Scotland are currently ninth in the coefficient uh, country ratings. So there are 24 direct qualification places for the Champions League proper. The league winners from the top 10 countries by coefficient. The runners up from the nations ranked one to six and the third and fourth teams from Europe's top four leagues. A further two places are reserved for the winners of the Champions League and the Europa League. Unless they've already qualified, in which case that goes to the 11th ranked nation for the former. Um, we're currently ninth, and behind us are Austria, Serbia, and Turkey. Uh, and Turkey are what five five points behind us, but Fenerbahce are still in it. Um, from Austria, uh, Salzburg are still in in Europe, so we need to watch essentially. Um, this, uh, this leads me into the, the kind of next question that I want. So, get, great question, Paddy. Currently, we're on, on, on line to do it, and I think we should be okay. So, next season, we should have qualification for the Champions League automatic if we win the league. Kieran, how important is automatic qualification to the Champions League? Do you think it affected us, the fact that we didn't have to qualify this season? Kieran? I'm not sure. I think maybe it's hard, it's hard to say, right? We, we always obsess over other things like we should recruit for the qualification. We should recruit in January to handle summer qualifications, which the club have never done. <laughs> They've never done that before um, because they do take everything on a season-by-season basis. Um, I, I, it, I, think, I think I might have done, to be honest, because there was a big jump from being beaten five. I, I mentioned it before, but the gap from being beaten by Bodo Glimt to then playing the Champions of Europe is um, it's massive. It's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. And it, it really came into it as we didn't know what the team's level were. We didn't know what the players' level were, which I did think inflated expectations a bit. Um, you know, that's not to say it wasn't it wasn't a disappointment in the end. It was. And I do think it, people need, there was a degree of responsibility for that. But at the same time, it was just, it was a big jump. Um, and I do think, you know, I personally, going into it, I enjoyed parts of the Champions League campaign, but going into it, I did feel maybe another year in the Europa League would have been better for the team's development. Now, that's not to say 
it wasn't great getting into the Champions League because these players, it's very attractive for players, for the money, for fans. It's great to experience these nights again. But in terms of the team's trajectory, I did think maybe Europa League was more level this year. And if not in Europa League, then as you say, maybe having the playoff or two rounds would have been a better barometer for at least this team testing itself on a European level. I'm very, very grateful we don't have the fucking nerves. <laughs> we didn't have the nerves of having to navigate those rounds. Um, but at this end, you know, it's very good that we we just had to, we, were very, we could just sit back and enjoy qualifying for it automatically with all the benefits that brings. But as I say, I do, as you, as you point out, I do think the team just, it was just too much of a joke to the system um, going from going from Europa Conference to Real Madrid. It is a massive jump and I just think the team maybe struggled with that a bit. You know, there's other aspects you can talk about. The finishing, some of the individual defending, um, maybe the team selections and substitutes at times as well. There are all these different factors, but I think the biggest problem was the inexperience at this level. And I think it just told, um, as you say. But at the same time, qualifying for Champions League next year, this team is more experienced. Hopefully we upgrade in a couple of four positions in the spine. We learn from the mistakes we made and people have pointed out Club Bruges, how they finished bottom of their group three years in a row and then only narrowly missed out on finishing top, but they qualified for the last 16 with what, a game, maybe even two games to spare. Um, you know, the um, Experience in the Champions League is invaluable for, for players learning, for teams learning. And I think getting to the next round, get, sorry, qualifying again for the Champions League, keeping most of our good players together, keeping Ange's manager, especially. <laughs> that's a pretty big thing as well. I think that's that's where we really have to go in and then we can look and say, right, finishing third is bare minimum target for next season. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it did just, it was a big shock to the system this year's Champions League. Uh, Colin, we always usually have, um, and you know, sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not with, with qualification to the Champions, usually not successful, <laughs> let's be honest, but like, it does kind of sharpen you up um, for the group stage stuff. It's kind of hard getting that balance though, isn't it? Because I'd quite like us to have qualification, but I also want us guaranteed to qualify. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like that sharpness, what's your thoughts? There's a, yeah, there's a trade-off um, in that without having to play those kind of qualifying ties, we had a full pre-season, we were able to bed people in, we were sort of felt the freshness at the start of the domestic season. But uh, yeah, like Caden covered it so well. Um, I think that with such a young squad and that run of uh, Champions League games there, experience is key. And to build more experience into the squad, give people more minutes against um, different qualities and different sort of uh, European sides who have different things going on than teams we face here. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's yeah. There's no kind of perfect. Uh, I, I think automatic qualification is good because you automatically qualify, <laughs> and yeah. we can all look forward to those wonderful nights. But um, yeah, you you just you don't get the same intensity in the friendlies in preseason. You don't really find where the sort of level is, and uh, it was all a wee bit of a surprise um, to you know let everyone that we sort of performed really well, but somehow forgot how to score goals so um i'm all for automatic qualification but we should be allowed to play the qualifying ties as well just <laughs> 
for fun. Um, see, uh, <laughs> see on that, um, and this is hindsight, right? Total hindsight. But uh, let's say we get the next the next situation where uh, we have a similar group where we've got like a European heavyweight, we've got a kind of really good European team, and then we've got a team that's not necessarily that far off our level. So Real Madrid um, and uh, Leipzig and Shakhtar, right? Let's say we get a group similar to that. Would you look to open up the group against the inverted commas weakest team at Celtic Park? Because I know I would. I, I think, and again, this is hindsight, Colin, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the, the Real Madrid game at home was uh, exciting yeah. um, because it was like the, t- the tie. I mean, I remember Callum McGregor saying that, who would you like to face? And he was like, Real Madrid. But um, to have that great performance still get scudded <laughs> and then things went the way they went. Um, but I think you can always, there's a lot of what about about, oh, if we'd got this team at this time, you know, with Leipzig, if we'd got them when Shakhtar got them, when they still had... Uh, your man in charge if uh, things could have been different um, but if we had converted some of that good football at Celtic Park against Real Madrid into some kind of result even a draw um, that could have given us unbelievable confidence going into the rest of the uh, the rest of the ties so um, I think you just have to play the hand you're dealt and um I think we could have taken more out of that group and hopefully the way that things are progressing with the squad building and and just talk about looking towards the next windows and building the squad uh, towards the next campaign in Europe, uh, hopefully we'll finally start to get some juice out of the squeeze. Uh, Kieran, your thoughts on that? Do you think, there's as, as Colin says, you just kind of have to go with the flow in regards to who you're playing? Yeah, I think we just have, we just have to say it's Celtic look when it comes to European football that you you get um, you know Leipzig after they've been re-energized with Marco Rosa. It's Leipzig as Celtic look in football that they and you know that they did miss all these. They never got the break of the ball in any game, and it, you know as, as bad as their finishing was as well. And it was just it was just like this is just the breaks. At the same time, I do I do agree that if we did get shagged at home, the confidence we went into that game after thumping Rangers four 0 after the Dundee United, uh, the 0 now, uh, just the level of arrogance this team had at that point, I think, would have really helped them. You know, we saw how brilliantly they played that first. You know, they played; they were the better team against the European champions in the first forty-five minutes of that yeah. game. If they took that against Shakhtar, I know Shakhtar had that brilliant result against Leipzig. I, I do think we would have won that game because we were riding so high. By the time we played Shakhtar at home, the confidence of the team was just so dented by the results by what had happened you know they looked up I wouldn't make a shadow of themselves as maybe a bit hyperbolic but they did look less they did look lesser than what they were before I do think we win that game it opens up the group well for one thing we have one more point than we, than we ended it with in the end but it does it does put us in the front seat for at least finishing third um, you know and the, that does change the complexion of the group and everything that came before it um, so I think I, I, I see both sides, but I, I, fundamentally, we just weren't up to scratch. We didn't take our chances in the fine margins. But as I say, these are things a lot of young teams, especially, well, a lot of young teams, even in the top four, top five leagues, learn. You know, the number of times where, you know, Tottenham, Man City, their first couple of years in the Champions League before they became the powerhouses, 
they were. They were finishing fourth, third, because it is a real learning experience when you're playing against these guys. It's a very, very different situation to domestic football, especially when you're in a club like Celtic's position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Some news. We've got some news. Ange Postacoglu has been linked to another EPL club, this time Everton. And I've just put yawn. Like, Colin, he's just going to be linked away pretty much the whole of the time he's here, especially with his success. Yeah, it's lazy journalism. It's just um, any job, like any um, manager that's on the rocks as Lampard is, they're just going to start saying, oh, and and obviously the Sydney Cup tie, um, you know, like, oh, they'll be playing Everton and they'll have a, a, a word in Angela's shell like and sort of draw them away. But I mean, where's the appeal in in that? You know, he's 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 got a project on the go at Celtic. He's got a plan. He's, you know, experiencing European football. How far away are Everton from getting to that level? Yeah. Um, you know, and you'd be getting involved in a relegation race um, and then, you know, potentially you're managing a championship side. I don't, just yeah. don't see it. I mean, that's the thing though. That is a league that, honestly, you'll get, what, a month? I mean, they're talking about Graham Potter already being under pressure and he's been in there, what, yep. two, three months? It's like, I don't know why... I, right, I can understand Ange being linked to doing really well at Celtic and then being linked to like a top six club or a really well run club or something like that. But to go to Everton, which is Kieran, it's just a basket case of a club, and it's you know you'd be in three months. You have you wouldn't. They've got a support that are kind of ravenous for success. I, I like Everton as a club, and they do have a support that are ravenous for success. But you just don't get time. No, there is a like. I think of all the ones he's been linked with, I think. Everton has the most like romantic allure because it is they're they're a massive club they've got a really passionate fan base there's something quite appealing about it especially compared to like a Wolves or Southampton there's something there is because they are such a historically big club and I think that that would appeal to Ange and I do think it is going to be an Everton or Leicester that he goes to rather than a top six club when he does eventually leave or you know I, I could see him going to, you know, like a Leon or a Dortmund or something like that. Something, you know, I think that would be more exciting for me personally <laughs> rather than him just going to a mid-table uh, English team. But as you say, like, it's, I think we have seen how quickly he can make an impact um, in terms of turning things around and in terms of establishing his ideas. Everything, as you say, it's just there's no clear structure there. And I think they've got three, they've got the chairman, the sporting director, and there's... Uh, maybe the CEO, they all have very different ideas of how the club should be run and they're coming into constant conflict. I remember when I was at the Athletic, I was chanting at the Everton guys and I was just saying like all three, one of them wants to go like, you know, like Ever- what Everton's version of staunch is and just have uh, Duncan Ferguson as manager. Yes. One of them wants to get like a, like a project, like a, like a hard-pressing, beautiful football project manager. The other one just wants to get, you know, like some middle ground is like it's completely nonsense. And you see, like they back Lampards. They got Lampards' requests for all the midi the mediocre English players imaginable. <laughs> they're signing all of them in the summer, and it's just backfired. And they're not performing. They don't have a structure. They don't have a game plan at all. It's yeah. So I I do think that sort of stuff would be a way we keep keep Ange. Um, yeah, and I think I do think. He has unfinished business in the Champions League. I think that's maybe our biggest hook at the moment if we're going to pitch it to Ange for, to stay another season. 
at least another season is like you haven't you've not okay you've done pre- all, pretty much all you can domestically but you've not proved yourself against good teams yet because you have underperformed in two years in Europe so I think that's where you really well maybe not tell them that because that might <laughs> that might cause an argument but like frame it in a politer way as <laughs> uh, a way for him to to encourage him to stay because as you say like it is more exciting to build this and you know go into Champions League next season and get seven or eight points rather than just going to Everton finishing 14th then if it doesn't work out because Corner Cody can't pass the ball then they get sacked this time next year um, you know you said there you know we can pitch to him about you know Champions League success he should be pitching to us pal he should be fucking pitching to us do you know who we are do you know what we done you ever heard of you ever heard of the Lisbon Lions pal what are you worried about that you ever heard about Seville not the one about the people drinking their own piss I'm talking about the good one. But bit of fun there. Uh, <laughs> uh, interesting to see um, Celtic have been granted an alcohol license, um, allowing, allowing stadium drinking at Celtic Park. There obviously are some caveats. Uh, basically, you could drink inside Parkhead before matches. It's the... Let me just see... Uh, the statement was, the club are pleased to announce that a license has been granted for the sale of alcohol in the West Stand concourse from 11am until 1pm, with the area open for supporters looking to arrive early on match day and enjoy the build-up to kick-off. Supporters visiting the West Concourse ahead of the match can enter via gate, blah blah blah, to enjoy the facilities until 1pm. Thereafter, the area will be cleared and supporters can re-enter the stadium via the turnstiles at 1.30 kiosk. I mean, it seems, Colin, you know, you've worked in the, the service industry, You you can see how appealing it would be to drink drink alcohol at Celtic Park and football in general. It seems like bit by bit there's just a wee bit of stuff happening. Are you, do you think long term we could be sitting having a pint watching the Celtic? I think so. I, I mean, it's been over 40 years and um, I think culture changes so much and so quickly and it's like the, the landscape is completely different. And I was thinking about what would be a successful model for this because part of the whole 11 to 1 and I was thinking about oh man you got to get people to drink up and get them out and just thinking like a bar a barman yeah. you know <laughs> um but I think something that could be explored um is go to tenants or whatever do what in Australia they have um specifically lower ABV beers to sell at Stadia um so like I don't know, like Cooper's makes like a 3% pale or whatever, and that's what you drink um, when you're watching a, a game. Uh, so I think that's something that could be explored. Uh, I think people aren't going to be too excited about having a two-hour window which finishes two hours before kickoff. Yeah. But as you say, it's chipping away, it's proving, it gives you a, a body of evidence to say, well, listen, we've started to do this, there's been no problems, we've managed to you negotiate this, blah, 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 and then you can build on it because... It just boils my piss that, you know, you can go to basically any sporting event that isn't football and drink. And as if it's, you know, it's we've covered this before in various other formats, but, you know, viewing football fans as irresponsible louts, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Kieran, um, chipping up, as Colin says, though, you know how when you start drinking and you ha- you're getting a wee buzz on and it's class and all that, and then you stop for a bit? Like, I can imagine sitting at half three and just, like, a wee mini hangover kicking in and being like, oh, for fuck's sake. So, just take a half charge in your pocket, get it into the stadium. Is that what you're saying, Keaton? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm in publicly endorsing. Um, <laughs> well, I know what you mean, but it's like, can, you, can you imagine? You know, when you, as you say, when you you have like a, a few hours break and you just feel like there's like a like a depressive joke. <laughs> yeah, that when it was, it's like it's like oh, it's just, it's just like a like a very brief but very powerful depressive episode. It's like oh, fuck, what am I doing with my life? Exactly. Um, imagine that. As like kicking in the moment, like harmonic score to make it one nil after a half an hour or something. There's a, there's <laughs> enough existential dread in there anyway. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and also, so, can you yeah. believe that? Can you can you envision the return of the hot leg? I mean, come on. What 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 I'd quite like to see is um, them to open it up again in the, inside the stadium for half time. They don't. They're not. People aren't allowed to go there before. So like, uh, they, they they don't sell it until the moment the halftime whistle blows, and you're not allowed to take it back in. So everybody has to down a pint in about space of about five minutes <laughs> as they drink and go to the toilet. That's quite good. I'd quite like to see that. I don't think it would help with like public safety or anything, but I would enjoy it on an entertainment level at least. Uh, I I remember I went down to the Emirates because my my pal's a season ticket holder, and we it. it was so we arrived at the stadium and we were having pints and um it was about to kick off and i was like oh we better go and he was like nah it's fine just leave it we'll, we'll have another pint and i was like oh okay and there was screens and we, and we watched the first 15 minutes on the screen <laughs> like it was like we were just in a pub and then it was like oh fuck we're actually at the stadium maybe we should go and watch this i there's plenty of time um but yeah i mean as as colin says and I, we have discussed it you know the kind of criminalization of of football fans is is outrageous um and again we talk about scottish football and we talk about revenue streams and we talk about how we can we get money and bring money into the game there's lots of willing customers who are looking to buy ex- stupidly expensive alcohol um on a saturday that's watered down piss um because i tell you something see if you said to me you can have a six pound pint of tenants, uh, watered down tenants at Celtic Park. I'd be like, I'll take five, please. Thank you very much. And that's just for me. So <laughs> this is um, a small start to something that hopefully builds and builds and builds. And then we can be treated as fucking, you know, equals as opposed to the ugly sister. Um yeah, uh, so I'm just looking at uh, the. We're going to cover the Ross County game in a, in a couple of minutes because, uh, of, of course, that was the big talking points. Uh, the reaction was recorded over the weekend. Uh, you can listen to that; it's very, very good. Uh, Graham, Eddie, and Annabelle doing a fantastic job as always, breaking through the game. But before we get there, um, the Swiss Ramble, which is a great uh, uh, website, website, which is a great Twitter account, <clears throat> has uh, done a, a thread on Celtic. And it's done a thread on uh, kind of Celtic's, you know, financial kind of state at the moment. And I just want to read some of these highlights out. Um, So, Celtic, uh, six million profit is one of the best performances of the leading European clubs have reported 21-22 figures to date. In stark contrast, large losses have been posted almost everywhere. PSG owe £327 million, which for them... Is just pocket change because of who owns them. But look at this: Juventus two hundred twenty-five million, Barcelona one hundred fifty-seven million, um, and these are just this is just this is loss. This isn't overall debt. This is just loss in the in, in the year. Um, so that's certainly po- um, a positive. Uh, Celtic have posted profits uh, six times in the last seven years. The one exception being the COVID impacted loss in twenty twenty-one. Um, over the last decade, they have generated £48 million in profits. 
Uh, and the main point is player trading is fundamental to their self-sustaining business model with an impressive 97 million profits delivered in the last five years. Postacoglu noted this is part of the process of bringing, bridging the financial gap that exists with other clubs. Um, and then that's kind of interesting because if you look at the um, revenue, Celtic's revenue has fallen 13, uh, 13% from 120, 102 million peak four years ago. Um, and that's all just basically to do with the Champions League. This is all basically around the idea that if we qualify for the Champions League, we probably ha- don't have to sell as many people as we as we need to. But essentially, that sort of fundamental self-sustaining business model counts on transfer business, and it counts on us selling people. Here's some of the players we've sold over the last couple of years: Kieran Tierney for twenty-four million, Musa Dembele for twenty, Odson Edward for fifteen, Christopher Ayer for fourteen. Virgil van Dijk for 14, Victor Wanyama 13, you know, £183 million. It's a lot of money we've made, Kieran, and it shows you it, it, it shows you how important transfer business is, not only for on the park, but for off the park as well. Yeah, I've, I've written about this in the past, like it, it is essential to us making a profit. Um, you know, Champions League, Champions League ultimately is... Qualification for the the Champions League is a risky endeavour. It is a risk. Um, there's no it's not guaranteed. But being able to sell players, good players, is as close to like high margin guarantee <laughs> guaranteed income as you're going to get um, annually. Obviously, that's you know I've, Martin Frio might might uh, send me loads of abuse for using <laughs> for not being using exact language. But like this is as close as a guarantee you're going to get is selling your be- some of your best players every year. Um, I think, and even with the Champions League money, you know, I think there's there is a possibility we might sell someone in January, even if we qualify for the Champions League next year. Um, I, I think there's a good chance we sell one or two players in the summer as well, because we have spent, you know, we've spent about forty five million quid on the Postecoglou project so far. Um, and if we want, if we do want to go to that next level, I do think it makes sense. If you look at like some a team like what Ajax are doing now, Ajax are much much further ahead in their development as a club. Never mind as a team, um, where they are at the process where they can sell a player for eighty million and then buy another for buy three for twenty five. I think that's if we want to become Champions League regulars and compete, we need to get to the stage where what we do is a smaller version of that. Where if we do sell Jota for thirty million, twenty five million next summer. Then we bring in three players that are worth seven, eight million. Yeah, um, players that really, really improve us. You bring in a high quality centre back, a high quality centre forward, a high quality number eight, like somebody not somebody that we think could could do a job or compete for a spot. Which I think, and I think this is this was the big one of the big problems with the summer window is that we didn't bring in players that we thought this these guys fit the system, but they also upgrade the level of the starting eleven. Um, those are the two big things you need to look for if you are going to reach the next level. I think most of the guys we run the summer were basically squad players. Um, so I think that's that's the that's the challenge. And as I say, like it is essential to how we operate now is player sales. It's 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 maybe a little uncomfortable and a little sad, but it's the reality. And you know, we I well, I personally moan and gripe a lot about not selling at the right time. Uh, not buying the right type of players, but over you know 
every club has its issues, and in the grand scheme of things, Celtic have been successful at it over the last 10 years, as that reflects. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Colin, uh, just looking here, uh, Norwich finished last in the Premier League. They had £134 million in revenue, £46 million more than Celtic. To get into the Delois uh, Football League, Money League, you have to earn at least 145 million quid, and we're currently at 61. Um, it's a different world, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, but I would, I would appreciate if we could start converting all these big numbers into, um, you know, how you have a monkey and a ton. I think we should go for a, a hatati. So 45 million is 30 <laughs> hatatis. Yeah. Just make things a bit more fun. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of, crazy that you can spend so much money and i was at the uh the norwich friendly um in the preseason, and for them to be so far ahead in money terms but essentially on the same page quality wise if i mean you know there, there was there was uh it didn't feel like there was a massive gulf between the two teams there, there seems to be a point where money becomes almost sort of irrelevant um, and as you as you were saying, Kieran, you know when you have all the money in the world, and you can go and essentially selling somebody for eighty million and buying three twenty five million players, um, and if we do that in a sort of smaller scale, I think you're you like the quality. I don't mean eighty million. Is anybody good enough for eighty million pounds? No, no. Or or how many hatatis is eighty million? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think a. Yeah, I, I I just kind of glaze over when I hear these massive numbers because it just it's just so unrelatable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like, with all due respect, the the, the thing that always comes back is the league. And I love Scottish football, and I love where we're from, and and, and I love playing in this league. But you know, for 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 example, see the difference. Um, Aberdeen's turnover. So Celtic's, um, uh, would you call it a revenue? 102 million quid in sorry 88 million quid last year right Aberdeen's revenue 11 Hibs 9 St Mirren 4 it, it, it's kind of so they're, they're obviously shopping in different markets and you know the, the standard of the league can improve but it, it, it's only really going to fundamentally improve if we stop buying shite English players from non-league teams which a lot of these clubs do trying to work smarter and harder I'd like us to try and you can't help, I don't know, until the league fundamentally improves, I think, then I think we're going to be off Ajax, you know what I mean? Like, because people are still going to come and say, why would, you know, Celtic are a huge club, but, you know, the league isn't the greatest standard, and that will always kind of come back to bite us in the arse a little bit. I'm not saying we move away or anything, I just, yeah, it's just quite frustrating, because we still have that tag, I think. Anyway. We can, we can come back to that. We can certainly talk about it. Uh, but from a positive standpoint, Celtic are now nine points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership um, after Celtic's 2-1 victory over Ross County. As I say, we've got a reaction that's available. Uh, RSS feed, it's on the app, it's on the website. Uh, they break the game down in a more detailed way. We're just going to kind of talk about our kind of thoughts on it. But Colin, what was your thoughts on the game? Did you enjoy it? Uh... That's I don't a, know if enjoy is a strong word. Um, I, I felt like there was a lot of flow breaking, and it wasn't just. I mean, there was there was the things that I kind of hate to see in these ties is time wasting when you're at nil nil. You know, like there's you know which 
does my head in the constant kind of boom fall down kind of thing every yeah. time like one of their play if the players lose the ball if there's or Matt O'Reilly's nearby <laughs> um and so and like that's not to mention not even to mention the, the bizarre refereeing and VAR business so I think I was kind of watched most of it in a haze of annoyance um and but then just was so uh, I think it was we played better than I think I thought we did initially at looking back on it I think there was some uh some really sort of you know people were saying it was a wee bit flat and a bit lifeless but I think that we were kind of trying things to beat the insane man marking uh and those moments of quality from Hatati Haksabanovic Turnbull Megan the keeper these are these are fun fun moments and to come again it's a win from being one down when we shouldn't have been one down so that shows real kind of grit and resolve uh so I think retrospectively uh I was I did enjoy it and I was really pleased I mean I just I'm sorry Jens got injured but I was delighted to see Starfelt subbed on so early and I think yeah. he was a big reason that they barely got into our final third uh from from when he was on he was just like getting winning every ball pretty much yeah absolutely I, I you know big Starfelt fan uh Kieran, what did you make of the game yeah quite similar I think it's I think it's what always one of those things where you think um after they drop points early in the day or early in the weekend you come in thinking right let's go and win six now let's go and celebrate them dropping points let's extend the lead and I think that has its own pressure and expectation that we go and extend the lead on top of the table. I think that's happened a couple of times um, this season and last. Um, and it, the performance just wasn't quite there. I think County obviously were sitting deep. Um, but I think we, I think we had good control of the game, as Colin's saying. I think we we did okay. We didn't create a whole lot, but it was hard. It was hard. It was almost like an away game in a way with the way County set up um, because they were so deep. Um, is that? The way the these types of away games pan out, where we have good control, away games we play well, and I should say when we have good control over the game, they don't have many chances, but we are struggling to create many clear cut chances. Saying that again, just the the resilience and character of this team, um, and Petate's quality, Hagsabanovic's quality, just really really told. I mean, and as as this for Tunbridge goal was brilliant, but also like the build up play for Hagsabanovic, even before like. The finish is brilliant, but they're, built, they're really doing a one-two touch pass. The way that to open up space for Hagsabanovic to get, get away with a shot, that's exactly what you want your attacking players to, to do rather than just aimlessly cross <laughs> for, for them to head away. You kind of want your players to be doing that one-touch pass at the edge of the box to create a, a shooting opportunity. And yeah, it was just, yeah, it wasn't scintillating, but it was it showed real character to come back to, you know, Use the sense of injustice uh, from the VAR moment, which we'll come to, um, to, to, to galvanise the players, galvanise the fans. And it, re- it really is a really good way to cap off that we did get the three points. And when you think about it, I know the St Mirren defeat. It was very annoying at the time. It was an awful performance. But only dropping points in one game from the start of the season until now is a pretty phenomenal record, is a pretty phenomenal run of form. Um, so yeah, very, very, um, very happy with it all told. Even if it's one of those ones that Alan always talks about that you probably won't remember in a couple of months' time. Yeah, that the thing I always think is like this is going to sound odd, but I'd rather 
I'd rather lose one game than draw a couple, if you know what I mean, out of the like 13 games we've played. You know, just lose, it's like <clears throat> win 12, lose one. I, I, I kind of find that's more, it works for me better than, you know, one ten drawn two or whatever. Just the fact that we, <clears throat> it's either kind of all or nothing, Colin. The fact that Celtic are just, it, it's these kind of defined points of we're either going to win or, you know, it might not be our day, but ultimately we'll always play the same way. Yeah, the St Mirren defeat, it's kind of like we got something fundamentally wrong and we paid for it. Yeah. But draws are just like, you know, quite often indicate stodgy play and lack of imagination. Um, and I think also the St Mirren result, I think Matt O'Reilly mentioned it in the post-game interview that it was uh, a kick up the arse. Well, he didn't say a kick up the arse. <laughs> but uh, it was did. a wake-up call. Um, and... I think that something maybe we'll be coming to is is there was some accusations of complacency complacency floating around um and sort of so are we are we defeat maybe kind of as a good sort of inoculation against complacency yeah yeah I, I couldn't agree more uh, Matt O'Reilly obviously was quoted to saying we've had some strange decisions go against us recently to say the least but they still can't stop us so it's all right um Kaden again we uh, we're trying to avoid the kind of circus that is VAR and, and the referees, but I, I don't, I, you know, it, it would be remiss of us not to at least mention the, the handball because, holy moly, what the, well, what's your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, it's just, we've had five league games with VAR now. That's not even including the, the farce of Real Madrid away as well. <laughs> um, some of the decisions there, but. That's five league games we've had with VAR so far, and in four of them we've had um, at least one major controversial decision go against Celtic. Some of them have had two um, controversial decisions. I'm not. I, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I just. I just think this is. It's just complete incompetence. It's just scandalous because like the the. the the complete lack of consistency is ridiculous. I mean, they had one in the game, but it's like the the county handball, the, the shout for the county handball later on. What is the difference between that and O'Reilly's? N- never mind that you know that you know. I, I couldn't even. I can't quite tell whether O'Reilly's outside the box or not. I know that people were saying it, but I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced. It's very, very close. Um, then again, I don't have you know a, a monitor with loads of angles where I can spot it exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's. It's just, I'm just fed up. It's just, you know, again, the handball decision is is ridiculous. The, if the handball rule needs to change, it needs to change, even though it's very clearly in the proximity from when the, the guy hits the ball to O'Reilly's hands, the fact that O'Reilly, you know, he's not he's got his arms stretched out, it's like sort of hugged in as well. Like, it is a natural position for it to for it to be in. If um, It's it's a nonsense. And I'm just, it was another performance that was, so disjointed by well, both the referee and VAR that they were both terrible. <laughs> they were both absolutely appalling in terms of just the stop startiness of it. It, it just, it, you know, it feels like we're getting double the incompetence rather than fixing it, rather than half it, or, you know, what is it? Their claim that it fixes, what, 90% of referee decisions now. I feel like we're just getting the incompetence and frustration of Scottish refereeing. And then they're doubling it and tripling, tripling it, and it's just sapping my joy from football. I hate it so much. 
I hate it. Well, saying that though, I did actually celebrate Hagsabarovich's goal without looking, without waiting for VAR to approve it this time though. So I, I managed to avoid the uh, the Kyogo winner uh, issue from last week, but um, I'm just fed up already, and I'm getting tired of discussing it every week. I'd rather talk about Celtic rather than talk about VAR every time because we knew this was going to happen. We knew yeah. it was going to poison and pollute football discourse. And that's exactly how it's happened. And I just can't see it getting better. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, Colin, this would be the perfect opportunity with five weeks um, in between now and the next game for the SFA and all the you know, Scottish Premiership SBFL to come out and be like, okay, we know we've got some stuff wrong. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. You know, have some communication of teething problems and, you know, all that stuff. Just something. But, you know, they won't. No, I, I think it, they'll just kind of brazenly ignore most of the issues. And I mean, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist either, but sometimes when things are going like that, you're, you're, you're questioning your, your kind of level-headed approach to it. You're like, is there a conspiracy? I was almost thinking that VAR and the wee earpiece are going, you know, it'd be some laugh. Right? <laughs> see, see that fool? Just don't, don't give it. <laughs> Oh, amazing, mate! You didn't give it. That was hilarious. You know, like they're 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 dating each other to do like preposterous things. I mean, the the the, the bit where the keeper like puts the ball uh, puts the ball down at his feet, takes a touch, and then picks it up again. Yeah, and then they invent a free kick or something. Yeah. Um. Also, I mean, and also we haven't talked about the potentially career-ending foul on Tony Ralston. Um, oh God, which I goes. think I, I'm going to have to. You know, that could have been serious. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, the guy's made a brick. It's fine. Um, I mean, he runs like he's made a brick. So, no, I'm, jo- oh. I'm joking. I love Tony Ralston now. I'm, I'm back. I'm back. Uh, by the way, just so just so you both know, I am a conspiracy theorist when it comes to Celtic and referees. Um, absolutely no question about it. I think they are out to get us. And I'm, by the way, I'm not even joking. <laughs> so, um, bit of a bit of a level living there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think uh, it's just, just garbage. I'm not surprised. Listen, I, I lived in the 90s, okay? I grew up in the 90s, so I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, anyway, but let's kind of focus back on the football. Uh, you know, someone mentioned the fact that Juranovic hasn't necessarily started. He's only started one of the last number of, of kind of home ties. He's the guy that there's been most speculation about in regards to, you know, potentially moving on over the, the kind of World Cup and stuff and, and, and all that. But uh, your boy Tony Ralston, he's, he's doing a... He's, he's, he's doing a decent job, uh, Colin. Yeah, I mean, and I think that um, he kind of has to uh, because I think in a lot of people's minds, Yanovich uh, is already sold. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I think he, I, I almost, I'm, I'm worried a wee bit because I think that he has been playing really well when he's been appearing. But the last couple of games, there's elements of his game that are the, the really good plus points he's got. I think some of his delivery has been a wee bit off for the past two games, even though I'm a big stan. Um, so I just kind of would like to see him sort of uh, steady the ship there. But um, no, I think he's a, a quality right back. Uh, but I think that we, in the same way that Burnaby, we were talking earlier about improving the first team squad. Burnaby has improved the first team because he's spurred on Taylor to this, like, you know, career high form. So um, I think uh, if Juranovic does go, um, we need to get a first team right back with Tony Ralston being like the backup. I'm not like saying he's uh, he's got the 
the absolute stuff of being a, a nailed on starter. But um, I think he just, he's, I just love to see people, you know, you know, players pr- proving people wrong when they get so many pillars. And I, I just, I, I just love supporting lost causes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about your Arvish, I'm sure, over the piece because it's just, Kieran, it's the one, it's the one name that people keep, seem to be happy that he's going. I don't know. He's not going, but people want him to leave. It's all, it's all just a bit, at this point, it does seem like actually maybe we should just try and get him to go because we talked about selling at the right time and stuff. Maybe it would be the right time to sell him in January. I don't know. What's your thoughts? Yeah, there's, I think football fans like having, you know, a scapegoat. Maeda was it earlier this season, now it's Juranovic. Ayer was it for a lot of the time where I find a lot of it quite inexplicable and bizarre, but. I guess everyone needs a player on their own team to irrationally dislike. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of the year itself is ridiculously irrational. Um, I saw people saying he was the the worst player during the Champions League run. He wouldn't be in my top five for, for worst players during that run, not by a long shot. Um, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, it just feels so poisonous now about him. Um that move on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't even know. But I, I do think it's important. We, if he does leave in January, it's not something that can wait to the summer. We do need a Champions League, what we would deem a Champions League quality right back right down then. And I and I hope we don't look at um, Ralston and, and think, oh, we could get a Bernabe. We could get like a young raw guy in. Um, we could get who could develop in time with Ralston as the as the lead. We do need a guy who improves the standard eleven. We, you know, if if people don't think Juranovic is good enough for the Champions League, I think maybe we're forgetting that Ralston was a big problem in the Europa League last year. He's Ralston is not a Champions League quality right back. He's not Europa League quality right back. We need a really good quality right back in in January if Juranovic is to go. It's just one of those weird things. It's just that I feel like the the Twitter discourse and everything is just poisoned towards a player, as I did with Maeda, as I did with Ayer beforehand. And I just, I personally find it completely bizarre and inexplicable. But I guess that's how these things go sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't think Ange or the player really gives a shit about what people on Twitter or are saying. I feel like maybe that's a bit of a bubble thing, but I, I do wonder. Stepping back from the, the online discourse, I think if you're looking at a player who's, say, we discussed it last week, like him, Mabada, and Turnbull are maybe the three that you look at as in there's not a massive drop off if they are sold and they do have value. I think those are, I think maybe one of those three will go. And, you know, a lot of people want it to be Juranovic. I'd prefer Turnbull personally, but yeah, we'll wait and see. Hey, Colin, you wanted to come in there? Yeah, I, I was just going to ask if you, what do you think is, because we're, I think a lot of the sport are making inferences about Juranovic and like, is it, you know, like, oh, he's not caring and he wants to go and he's concentrating in the World Cup and stuff. What What is it that you think, why do you think people have taken this kind of vote face with Juranovic? I, I personally think it's just because he's not been as, you know, I, I think he had, his form hasn't been consistent the way it was last season. I mean, last season he was an absolute standout. Um, Agreed. And, yeah. and, and this season, I think he's played well. Um, 
But I think when players drop off at, at any level, I think our support specifically are quite quick to pull them up on it. Uh, and yeah. then there's always the desire lines and stuff. Uh, great Deer Hunter song. There's always the desire cool. um, element that's always brought up for some reason. Kieran? I think it's the style of play as well. And I think it's one of the reasons why I feel that Japanese lads are held to a much higher standard. <laughs> like, you know, I think Graham pointed out that people think Hitate blows hot and cold um, or that he's inconsistent, whereas I think he's been consistently our best yeah. non-Greg Taylor player this season by a distance. I think it's because players like Hitate and Juranovic, they are playing the way Ange wants them to play, which is to be always bold and ambitious with their passing. You know, Juranovic, he always trees, tries to do the one-touch long passes through the lines. Sometimes it doesn't come off, you know, and people get frustrated by that. It's the same with Itati, you know, when people say he's a problem because he, it's one of his passes through the middle is cut out and Shakhtar go and score. But the, the, this is the way that Ange wants the team to play. That's why he likes Juranovic. That's why he likes Itati is because they do make those bold, ambitious passes because that's integral to the system. Whereas I think people, which is understandable, we mentioned it before with Moy as well, why some people liked Moy, some why didn't. Maybe this applies to why some people don't like Hitati or Juranovic because they prefer like a safer form of build-up play. They prefer to be, you know, to take a couple of touches and make sure the ball's secure rather than trying to be quick and direct with their passing. And I think it's just that maybe that affects their look in Juranovic, whereas Ralston, you know, he likes to take three or four touches then then make a pass, whereas Juranovic tries to do it at pace and very directly. Um, I think that's just the way, again, it just people's preferences. Yeah, I think that the interesting kind of point of view for me is with this inference that we're going to change to a really kind of agile, aggressive model of, you know, player changing and, you know, transfers, you know, happening more regularly, maybe players not staying for as long as they have. I think that's probably going to benefit our support um, because it means that, you know, sometimes players can, you know, their form goes up and down and, and it's not just Celtic fans, it's all kind of football fans, there's no question about it. But, you know, with a more agile kind of aggressive approach, players maybe not staying for as long as they have in the past might actually work in our benefit. Um, but we certainly will see. Just on the, the question, Dave sent in a question. Hey, Dave Gallagher. With his nine points clear, ten with goal difference, and now this winter break, is there a chance complacency comes into it, especially them with them being utter junk? You touched on it, Colin. Uh, Kieran, is complacency our biggest issue? I think potentially, and I think it's also going to be keeping a big squad happy when we're down to just domestic competitions in the second yeah. half of the season. Um, I think we will, and you know we've seen it so far when rotating... Um, the front three and the fullbacks. I think if we say in a number eight, we'll see, and when McGregor's back, I think we'll see a lot more rotation in midfield as well, because I think that's what Ange wants. Um, and I think, it, you know, people have their arms with the rotations. They have their favourite players dropping out every, you know, once once a week for somebody else to come in. But I think that's what we're getting to. And I think we might see the benefit of the rotations of the last couple of weeks, the last few months in the second half of the season, because the players won't be burnt out. You know, they're, they, you know, we will return hopefully with a full bill of health um, after the World Cup. And I think, I think complacency it is a possibility, but at the same time, 
I think this the team spirit and the the way they challenge themselves in training at Lennox Town. You know, I, I think whenever I chatted to agents or family members about the culture of Lennox Town, they all set themselves these individual challenges or these challenges as a team. And if you are rotating regularly, it is encouraging players to always try and win up with each other. I think that's the way. You, there is a way to 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 combat complacency um, as as well by setting goals for the team that aren't relevant to Rangers. You know, it's how many points can you achieve this season? Can we break the hundred point barrier? I think that's the kind of thing that Annie should be setting down. It's like you're a good team. Who cares about them? Break a hundred points this year. Get you know, get one hundred and twenty goals or whatever. Get something ridiculous. That that should be the the way you'd really challenge this. And we've seen you know, as we saw, we will come on to the way Jota grabbed the ball um, after the equaliser. This team is very very focused. They're very set on their own targets. I think that's the way you you combat it. I think the second thing you do is if you do bring in two or three quality players to the starting eleven. Um, in January, you're bringing Kobayashi, you're bringing a number eight, maybe another position, whether it's a striker or what have you. That's another way because that encourages the competition even further. That raises the standards in the competition and the, on training even further. That People have to maintain their performance levels unless they're going to get dropped. And with the, the shadow of another Champions League campaign next season on the horizon, they want to end the season or they want to have a really good second half of the season so they can be in the line of thinking to start Champions League next year. I think this is where you sort of integrate that as a way to combat complacency. Excellent, excellent. Um, Colin, Jota, him running on after we've scored, kicking the ball to, to give it to kick off. It really does highlight the team spirit that we have at Celtic. It was uh, delightful to see, but I was kind of worried that the referee would use it as an excuse to chop the goal off. <laughs> so that's not allowed. No, no, no. Um, yeah, you, you, just the kind of the way that everybody is so on message about not wasting time, about using every, you know, I, I'm sure Christian has uh, many stats about how much the ball's in play. Um, and we're trying to maximise that sort of those amounts of minutes. Um, but yeah, you just you, you, it's cliche, but you love to see that team spirit. And I think that with the complacency uh, question, I think that these tight results that we've just, I mean, we've just had two kind of squeaks, um, two one wins. I think again that kind of can combat complacency because it's not just we're we're not going into the break just on the back of like a bunch of like hidings, you know. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I just like. Earlier, Kieran, when you're saying Jota, selling Jota next summer, I just like I know I know we shouldn't get too attached, but it broke my heart a wee bit. Please don't, please, <laughs> please don't, Celtic, please don't go. Um, here's what Ange Postecoglou had to say on the game. Ange, that felt like a, a big win and important three points coming as it does before the break. How, how do you assess the performance today? Yeah, I thought the boys were outstanding, uh, outstanding. Um, you know, it's been a long uh, sort of stretch of games, and um, for them to perform like that today and uh, you know, under not the easiest of circumstances, I thought, um, yeah, you know, I couldn't be proud of them. I thought it was a really, you know, strong performance by a really strong group of players. What does it say about the level of resilience in this squad that when they take these knocks and blows, they don't let it phase them and mm. seem to come back? Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, it's character, it's quality. You know, they're good football players and they're, uh, and they're strong characters. And uh, for any manager, that's... Uh, it's a pretty good combination. 
Now, I mentioned to Matt O'Reilly that the composure that was required when things can get frantic. Rio Hatati showed that in the build-up. David Turnbull with his finish. And I think somewhere <coughs> in the chaos, it may even have been lost on some, how cool and composed the finish it was from Sead Haksabanovic to bag that second. Yeah, no, like I said, I thought that, you know, we created some fantastic opportunities. I thought the keeper was outstanding today. And, uh, you know, it's not easy. They've got a lot of bodies in the box. But, as you said, um, still got the composure and the quality, you know. We've got some really good football players and uh, you know they're showing those qualities and with abundance of character and uh, you know pleased for them all Very well placed now coming into the break it's a nine point lead are you looking forward to being able to just relax for a couple of days before refocusing and, and it'll be all attention on coming back again in five weeks Yeah no look I think it's important um, obviously going down I mean four of our boys are going to the World Cup and we wish them all the best um, you know they're representing obviously themselves, their, their country, their family, but they're also representing us. And, um, you know, I'm sure they'll do really well. And, you know, the rest of us are going up to Australia and, you know, they're still, you know, we're still together as a group, but there's still games we want to do well in. But, obviously, you know, without the pressure of, you know, competition. And then uh, and then I think it'll do the boys really, you know, good just to get away and, and have a week or so off just to freshen up. Because, like I said, it's been an enormous shift from them. And, uh Credit to them because it's not just the number of the games; it's been you know, Champions League and, and travel. And I'm changing the you know, five or six changes every t- every game, and no one's complained. No one's made excuses. Not easy uh, when guys are coming in and out. Uh, for them to be perfect in the league through this stretch is uh, an outstanding effort. Great stuff uh, from Ange. Uh, please go to the doctor. Even I mean, maybe you have, um, but. That cough is not going away, brother. Um, and maybe the sunshine will do him good. Um, but um, we're going to talk about going down to Sydney uh, for the Sydney Cup uh, in a moment or two. But great to finish the point, the season, uh, the season, the first half of the season, Colin. Nine points clear. We are exactly where we want to be. Absolutely. And I just was very keen to sort of praise the players and the team performance. And it was like, you know, he's not normally quite as effusive, effusive as that so it's kind of their little reward <laughs> for the the end of this uh this section i did i was momentarily confused because i thought one of the one of the questions was uh, about the brazilians in the squad <laughs> and i was like we've just got an argentine guy but it's resilience in the squad okay uh so a little bit more diction uh that's just a little yeah, little, just tip a, just a little tip for interview there um, and also uh just uh, something we didn't. We haven't mentioned uh, the keeper. Did have a good, um, a good, and he had a crack and save from a, a Turnbull shot, yeah. uh, which I totally forgot about until I said that, and I was just like, so yeah. Um, also, credit to Turnbull for having a good shot. <laughs> yes, and uh, and for making the keeper making him uh, look like a diddy, which is always yes, great. Um, let's go to the court report. <laughs> Be looking to build upon their good result against Open Goal Broomhill last weekend as the return to Lowland League action continued. The boys faced off against two opponents on the road this week as they looked to catch up on the league fixture schedule after several weeks out with domestic action. First up, the young side took on the experienced Lowland team East Stirlingshire as they travelled to Falkirk Stadium. Last campaign, the two matchups against East Stirlingshire proved to be difficult outings with both games finishing 1 0 and each team taking home a victory apiece. However, the Hoops were looking to make it a much easier visit on this occasion, and they went exactly the right way about doing that, scoring the open goal after just 20 minutes. Midfielder Ben Summers was the man to unlock the home side's defence, picking up the ball outside the area before having a strike on goal, which flew past the goalkeeper and handed Celtic a one-goal lead. 
Just before the break, the young Celts were able to extend the league as well Bruno Davidson got in the act, producing a brilliant run in between the East Stonish defenders and smashing a low finish into the top corner. Going into the second half, Hoops had all three points wrapped up under their mark. A standard strike for the night. Rocco Vata produced a brilliant turn and finish that any number nine would be proud of. It was a solid victory on the road once again, which left Steve McManus and Darren O'Day pleased after coming away with the points from a potentially tricky venue. But just a few days later, the Hoops were back in action and were again on their travels to the capital as they faced off against Edinburgh University. The Celtic coaches were able to make several changes to the side to freshen things up, including the introduction of Joey Dawson to the starting eleven. However, the boys would be without Mosin Lowell and Rocco Vata, who are preparing to jet off with the first team to the Sydney Super Cup. Midweek goal scorer Ben Summers was also due to join up for the first team, but the youngster unfortunately picked up a late knock, which also rolled him out of this game in Edinburgh. Without key stars, Celtic were still able to produce a strong performance as they stormed into a three-goal lead in the opening 45 minutes, with goals coming from Dawson, Ben Quint and Bruno Davidson. Once again, all three points looked to have been wrapped up with a strong first-half display, and that was ultimately the case in the end. But not before a late push by the Edinburgh side, which saw them produce two second-half strikes of their own. However, a goal from defender Yunoto had secured the victory in the end, as it was went on to win 4-2. Whilst the first team might be away from competitive action during the World Cup, Celtic B's fixtures continue, starting with a trip to East End Park this Tuesday. It should prove to be another good test for the young side, taking on first-place side in the Scottish League 1, Dunfermline Athletic. <laughs> Lovely stuff from our good friend Lewis Laird there with the Colt Report. He does fantastic work. Uh, check him out on Twitter at LewisLaird01. He covers the Colts. He covers the, the B team and uh, the loans. So check him out. Great stuff. Um, the Sydney Cup. How important is the Sydney Cup, Kieran? Um, big games coming up uh, in regards to keeping us ticking over. We've got, let me just see, we've got uh, Celtic versus Sydney FC Thursday. 8.45 GMT uh, and then we've got Everton on Sunday at 3.45am as well um, looking at the kind of Sydney Cup it's an opportunity to maybe play some of the youngsters or would you just kind of want to keep players ticking over as we said the, the players it's Moyes going to the World Cup um, Maeda's going to the World Cup Juranovic is going to the World Cup and Carter Vickers is going to the World Cup um, so I mean, would you be looking to just play a kind of first strength eleven, or would you be looking to drop in a couple of youngsters? I think I'd say drop in a couple of youngsters. You know, Graham's talk about it. It just, even if it is like just a very hollow gesture, just to <laughs> let them know that they are they are there. Someone like Rocco Vata could be his last appearance in a Celtic shirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, depending, um, I just you know, maybe maybe give a couple of the guys. An appearance or two. As I've mentioned before, I really don't think there's many from the current beating crop at the moment that look like they can make much of a first-team contribution. I think it really has just been a really fallow, quite underwhelming, worryingly underwhelming year for the for the B team in terms of players really stepping up. You know that could, you could point out that's because they're playing the fifth tier around the second or third, but that's a separate, <laughs> separate argument. Um, yeah, I think I'd just go for like maybe a couple of the youngsters. I think there's a balance you can strike between fielding two or three of them while maintaining the level. I think I'd like to see maybe if he's ready, 
maybe I might be too soon for McGregor to get some minutes, but if not, maybe get him like half an hour in yeah. one of the games over the time. I like to see Starfelt get more game time so he's up to speed and can really hit the ground running after we come back um, and starting twice a week so we don't have to see Jens much more. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, no, I... I, I no, I can't. I can't kid. I just, I just think he's rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like stuff out as well. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think those are there's like small parts of that get people who have been injured or have suffered knocks or maybe not been fully up to speed. Maybe Abelgard will come back and be absolutely class. Jesus, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I might just ban his name moving forward, so we never have to mention him again. Because my God, um, Colin. Uh, how important is it, the fact that, um, again, we talked about team bonding and stuff, but going down to Australia to a training camp, um, as opposed to maybe staying locally or going to, you know, somewhere um, like close, like Spain or whatever, going down to Australia, getting really out of the kind of focus of, of everything and just working on things, it's important, right? Yeah, vitamin D is important, yes. especially this time of year, uh, so we don't have to sit in front of sad lamps. Um, I think I'd like to see... a. A slightly different. I mean, I'm sure it will be, but I don't want to see like millions of substitutes and like uh, and bizarre lineups. I would like to see a little bit more consistency than uh, maybe we see in friendlies uh, preseason. Um, but yeah, and also like Australia, lovely place. I'm going there in February uh, to sort of see Tara's parents, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And it's just a shame that it hasn't dovetailed with uh, the the Sydney Cup. And it's very important to win the Sydney Cup. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of uh, kudos attached to the Sydney Cup. Yeah, the the, the European Cup, uh, then the Coronation Cup, uh, and then the Empire Tri- um, Exhibition Cup, and then actually even before the Scottish Cup and everything is the Sydney Cup, if you can believe Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll 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 talk about it. But the game on the Thursday, we'll talk about that on the the cynic, well, the cynic clinic live show, um, which is as we said, is happening on Thursday. We can talk about that game then. Um, Ange Postecoglou. Uh, Ange Postecoglou just a bit of pavement there. Uh, What's well, my favourite? Who are they? Uh, who knows? Uh, but Ange Postecoglou has been inducted into, or will be getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, closed on weekdays, of course. Uh, Kieran, it's a, it's a nice honour, and it's you know Ange Postecoglou in Australia genuinely seems to be this like hero. Um, obviously, the first Australian manager to um, manage in the Champions League and. Everyone's following his exploits at Celtic really, really closely. It's nice for him to get that sort of uh, respect and kind of praise. Yeah, 100%. Just as an um, anecdotal um, tidbit, um, I've got a mate over in Australia, shout out to, to Hugh, Oof. who um, had no, apart from like, he, we were we worked together in London before we both moved back, and he had no, he's a Spurs fan who had no connection with Celtic, but he's just been. He's now subscribed to Celtic TV, Oof. so I've had to apologise for the production values <laughs> on numerous occasions. Um, but he, he's going to the game on Thursday as well. Oh, you know, he lives in Sydney now, and he's really, really excited. And I, I, I love waking up on a like this Monday morning, and he's just sent me like a clip of um, like Hitati's goal uh, with some 
funny Australian phrase captioned with it when I had to attack his assist or something. You know, it's just, a, it's just really nice. And if it, obviously, that's just purely anecdotal, but it does feel like a thing that's quite representative of a large chunk of Australia at the same time because yeah. he is absolutely idolised over there. He is worshipped. He's the you know, first manager of Champions League, first, you know, won them the Asia Cup. He got really brought, he brought a sense of um, pedigree and respect to the, the Australia's league football with his, um, you know, his Melbourne and his Brisbane teams as well, you know, like it, it, and the success in Japan. He is like almost their avatar for Australia football can produce something special. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I think it's really, it's really nice and it's quite wholesome. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the reception he gets because I think, I think it's going to be really quite spectacular as well. I think they'll, they worship the ground he walks on and it's, you know, if you're with, from a cynical like marketing perspective, the club are very cleverly trying to win over more and more Aussies with it, which I think is you know everyone benefits from it. I think and it was quite good to have that as a foothold for for years and decades to come. Yeah, uh, Colin, you mentioned obviously your your wonderful wife is, is is Australian and you're going over there to see the in laws and stuff. Is do you get a lot of kind of feedback from them about Ange? Um, I think most of the people that I know. Um, then they are much more into like Aussie rules. Um, uh, to be honest, I, I think like uh, Tara's from Perth, and so there's the Eagles and the the Dockers. Um, so I saw a lot of that. So I it, it I don't know if it's like a regional thing. Obviously, the Sydney Cup's on the other side of the <laughs> country from Perth. To be fair, um, but uh, there was certainly there. You know, when he was announced. Tara had heard of him and like you know whenever he was kind of post a cog who yeah uh, and she was like no I think I've heard that guy and um I think you know she knew, knew he's um knew him from his managerial spell for the Socceroos um but yeah as I say like it's 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 uh Perth seems to be Aussie rules and cricket Ugh. <laughs> you, do you like cricket Colin you know what? I don't mind cricket so much, but um, I, but the, the, partly because I went to when I went to secondary school, I I went from playing football at primary school to a school that only played rugby, and I hate rugby with a hot white passion. And the only good thing was when summer rolled around, you got like four weeks of cricket, and it was just a relief. So um, I've just got to say shout out for cricket to get me get out of rugby for a month. You should have said when I when I said do you like it? You should have said uh, I love it. Not shite. Yeah, no, no. Oh, well. oh I get you. Yeah, you. yeah, I don't like cricket. I love it. I'm so sorry. Uh, I we, set it up and I just ignored it. You 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 missed the um, umpire. I don't know. It's the cricket thing. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> just wicket you missed the wicket uh, you know uh we got a final question that we're going to finish up on and it's from a uh, jambo roy um kieran there's a bit this is a question for you but we'll we'll start with the first part and we'll give that to colin um would we be better off playing welsh over yens for the for their hopefully sparse game time moving forward is our own player who needs game time for the development and of, at worst increase a possible fee think there's few people clamoring clamoring for us to join a uh, sign yens permanently kieran we know your thoughts on Jens. Uh, <laughs> Colin, uh, you know, obviously we would for the rest of the season, hopefully we'll have CCV and Starfelt. But if there was an opportunity to to change, obviously Andrew said how much he likes to keep his centre-half pairings very uh, consistent. Would it? Would you change it up and have Welsh over Starfelt? Um, sorry, Welsh over Jens, or what's your thoughts on it? 
I think I would, uh, judging by when Welsh and Jens were playing together, I think Welsh was putting in the better performances of the two. Um, but I find it very, it's quite telling that Jens was put in on Saturday. Yeah. And he seems to be, he seems to be the third choice. So I don't know what's going on. Because uh, I, 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 I think there's not much between them, but on balance, I would say Welsh is probably got more potential than Jens from what I've seen. Um, and I think Jens, uh, like, let's not sign him. Let's let's just, let's let's pass on that. Yeah, let's pass on that. Kieran, the second part of the question from Jambo Roy. Um, also for Kieran, if he's on, who were the soundest folk to contact you when you were at The Athletic? I'm not expecting sources, um, but was it agents, friends of players, players themselves, etc.? Family members were always lovely. They were always really, really nice. <laughs> just like they, they, especially parents, if you do, uh, if you've written something about uh, their sons and they're very, very grateful and very kind. All the, all the parents did. I think one of the things I did learn from it was just the amount of commitment and both emotionally and in terms of you know hours of, of your free time that parents have to give up. So their sons can li- sons and, and daughters now they can they can live their dream. It's spectacular. It's unbelievable. It's literally hundreds, if not thousands, of hours they have to give up over the course of you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen years, however however long it is. Is especially when they get to St. Ninian's program and they're doing it three or four times nights a week and mornings a week. It's yeah. it's unbelievable. Um, so I think they're very grateful. But it was always a very nice chance to them, and they're a real load of characters as well, especially if they are like. Um, I won't say that the player, but one of the, the players who are still at the club who came through the academy, that his dad was a massive, massive Celtic fan, and he was just, he was just, um, I think the player in, in terms scored once, and he was just talking about how he burst into tears and he couldn't stop sobbing until the opposition equalised or something, and then he just got angry. Um, so I, I think those, yeah, I think definitely. Like um, the family members of players were always the, the most pleasant to chat to, and they're all very, very soon. Excellent, lovely stuff. Um, <clears throat> this has been absolutely fantastic, a fantastic agenda as always. Um, we'll be back next week. We'll be back all through the World Cup, and we'll keep going. Um, and we've got plenty of podcasts coming up for you daily um, moving forward. Uh, Kieran Devlin, pleasure as always, sir. Pleasure is all mine. Thoroughly enjoyed this uh, debut with with Colin, and the, the, the yeah, I mentioned earlier the agenda with. Three very Irish surnames. It's good. Get, uh, get that filth, filthy Pachiti and Edgar's out of the way. Get them out the bloody way. Actually, that's isn't it? I shouldn't use that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I rescind filthy and just use... Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll settle back. In I'll settle back. Yeah. Uh, Colin, it's been a pleasure having you on. A, a fantastic debut and we'll hope to hear from you again soon. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's been great. And uh, a big... Uh, some big big shoes to fill so that was quite nerve-wracking but i enjoyed myself thanks very much and uh, nice to meet you keaton uh from de- from devlin from kearney and from gallagher this has been the agenda and we'll speak to you down the road <laughs>